Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Convivio Agency Leaders podcast. I'm Steve Parks. I'm an agency geek and CEO of Convivio. And this podcast is quite exciting for me because I used to do some podcasts well over a decade ago, between about 2004 and 2010, I did regular podcasts about leadership, entrepreneurship, business, and I wrote some books about those subjects in that time as well. And I really enjoyed that experience of having the guests on and geeking out and talking about business uh, and entrepreneurship. And now I'm restarting that, but particularly with a focus on agencies. Uh, for the last 16 years or so, I've been running creative agencies uh, in one sector another and have learned so much through that experience, mostly by completely messing things up, uh, but often, uh, you know, sometimes as well from doing things the right way. But all those lessons learned have been so valuable. And what I love about so many of the agency communities are, that are around is that willingness to share and open up and discuss about what we're all learning as agency leaders. So I wanted to capture a little bit of that with the podcast, but also because we want to help agency leaders think ahead a little bit more. One of the things we learned during the pandemic was that people were taken by surprise. There wasn't really uh, what agencies generally didn't have business continuity plans. They weren't really aware a pandemic could be a thing that could impact their business. They didn't have enough cash reserves in general. So I really want to do something that's about spreading this idea of how to uh, work in that director role in your business, thinking ahead, looking further ahead, uh, so that we're creating slightly more stable businesses. I'm joined in doing this podcast by my colleague, Dr. Joe Baker, who leads all our research work. Joe. Yes, as Steve said, I focus mainly on the research work for Convivio. I've similarly got a very long uh, career in the agency world, uh, having worked in an agency from the late 90s onwards, but also I've worked in the not-for-profit sector. I spent about 10 years in that time in between uh, doing a PhD, and so I've, I've my focus is mainly in research, and particularly uh, supporting the, what we're doing here with the podcast, uh, we've researched a lot about the challenging things for agency leadership, what it is that makes things difficult uh, or hard to do for agency leaders. Uh, we've had conversations with all kinds of people in all, in all the continents across the world, uh, in many different contexts, many different types of agencies, uh, and found a whole load of very interesting themes cropping up consistently between them. Uh, many things, for example, about being lonely and isolated as a leader, about the weight of responsibility that leaders have in particular that's distinct from other roles within the business. Um, we've, talk we've heard from them about uh, the challenges of managing people uh, as a distinct uh, responsibility apart from the area which has been their expertise as, say, a technical developer or a designer or, or something else. Uh, we've heard about um, revenue challenges and the consistency needed to pay mortgages of multiple people every single month. Uh, we've heard things in particular about um, the challenge of maintaining a purpose uh, through the rough and tumble, the ups and downs of agency life. But probably the most consistent theme that we've heard is the challenge of being able to work on the business uh, rather than just be in the business doing the day-to-day -day work. How do you have that leadership time? How do you fit space amongst everything else in order to maintain that leadership time where you can remain being more strategic, having a larger view and a more long-term view and put in place 
plans necessary, uh, doing the research, doing the wider reading needed to support that planning, uh, talking and listening to wider voices outside of your uh, own business, outside of your sector maybe, um, people with smaller businesses and larger businesses, uh, both in order to help inform what you're doing. And that's the key focus, I suppose, for the, the main reason, the motivating reason for why this podcast fits in, helping people to understand how you can work on your business rather than just be in it. Yeah, and actually that's the key phrase because something we've heard time and again, Joe, isn't it, is that you know this people talk about they're juggling too many plates or whatever, and we use the phrase wearing too many hats. Um, and we often talk about when people start their agency, they're often as a freelancer or a group of friends and they start off. And what they're doing then, the hats that they're wearing are as the designer or the PR person or the developer or you know some kind of specialist. It's a practitioner hat. Uh, they are a specialist in something they do for clients. And then they have to wear a sales hat as well in order to go and get that work that they do. So they've kind of got two hats when they start. But then they recruit their first team members. They have to put on another hat, which is team leader. And maybe eventually, as they add some more team members, HR manager is another hat that goes on. Then the business grows a bit and they suddenly need to be wearing a sort of a finance type hat. Then they get you know, longevity of clients. They're having to wear an account manager hat. And all these hats go on. Um, and eventually, they suddenly realize, you know, in the, one of the growth phases, sort of either the one that's kind of between 15 and 30 people, or the one that's kind of in between 35 and 50 people, um, different agencies hit it at different points depending on the style of leadership. Just that utter pain of, oh my goodness, somebody's actually got to run this thing. Somebody's got to be the leader. Somebody's got to be doing all of these, these roles. And one of the key things I think as well is that, uh, and to milk the metaphor even more, is that some of those hats are very comfortable to wear, especially if you started, as you said, as that practitioner, Steve, um, of being a, a marketing expert, for example. It's, it's very comfortable being that. It's how you feel most natural uh, doing it. And so to put on something completely different, such as putting strategy together or being um, a people leader, people manager, feels uncomfortable. It's an ill-fitting hat and it feels like you're you know, dressed up for a very special occasion, like a wedding, say, and the top hat is important, you look great in it, but actually it's not your normal hat. And learning to be comfortable in that alternative hat and learning to feel, especially as you said, about those key moments, those key uh, transition points in the business as you grow, that it's time to take off this hat and learn to be comfortable wearing something else uh, is challenging. Yeah, absolutely. And also those sort of the lower hats, if you think of the hats from sort of the the, the lower point of the organisation, you know, the, the nearer to the client, the border of the agency uh, to the outside world, those kind of hats are sort of uh, lower in the pile. They're the ones people start off wearing uh, uh, compared to the, the higher hats, the top hat, as you, you put it, um, that they, you know, is a bit more detached and it's more central. It's a more coordinating role. Um, the noise all happens in the lower hats. So those hats are urgent. They're pressing. They come up with emergencies. There's firefighting to do. Everything in those hats feels very important and urgent and must be done today. And there's a lot of noise noise around it. Whereas with the top hats, the upper hats, whether you're the owner, you're the director, you're the CEO or another chief role, so a CXO will refer to that as, uh, where you're in one of those hats, that's more self-directed. Uh, um, so you don't have people 
throwing things at you, throwing crises and so on, until much later on, until it's past the point where the work should have been done on them. So those hats, you're needing to look further ahead, and therefore it doesn't feel as urgent, it doesn't feel as pressing. It's important rather than urgent. And it's really hard to do that context switching from the urgent firefighting stuff of the lower hats to the important but not very noisy attention-grabbing stuff of the top hats. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And it's certainly an aspect as well, isn't there, of um, assuming that the hat you should wear ought to look like this to fit into a certain style in order to be the primary shareholder, say, or the CEO role. You have to look like this to be the, the classic CXO. You have to have a very particular top hat to wear, uh, whereas some other hat might be more natural uh, or some other version of that might be more natural. I feel like I'm really, really pushing this metaphor too hard now. <laughs> no, but actually, Joe, that is a really good point because what I see a lot with agencies with when they're, they're struggling, often it's when they're, they're trying to form more of a management team or even a board in that 35 to 50 growth zone. Um, and uh, you know, sometimes they've just had nothing by that point, so they have no board. And then they come to the point thinking, we need to have one, and they think about what their image of what a board should be. Uh, and that is that people propose motions and people second motions, and there's a vote on something, and there are minutes, and they kind of they put on this telephone voice of what they think a board should sound like uh, and make it very formal. And it's exactly what you said there. They've got this image of what the hat they should be wearing is. Whereas actually in a creative agency, a baseball cap is a perfectly acceptable hat for a director. Um, so you do not have to make it over formal or stilted or whatever. So one of the things we want to be tackling with this podcast is that it is how can you fulfill those roles in a way that really fits with you and fits with being a creative agency agency? How can you be a good owner, good shareholder? How can you be a good director and board member? And how can you be a good CXO without just putting on that telephone voice, having good tools, good techniques in order to fulfill that role in a way that feels true to you? And that's certainly one of the things I'm really looking forward to as we move forward in the podcast as through the episodes is hearing partly those stories of people in their real world circumstance how they took on the the higher level hats if you like but made those hats their own how they discovered that they didn't have to fit a particular model um at, through adversity or through through natural ability grew into a hat that fitted them fitted their style uh which i think will be the most one of the most fascinating aspects of the of this whole yeah. podcast series Absolutely. It's so interesting, isn't it, to get to see behind the scenes of these agencies and these leaders, because all these jobs are quite solitary. You mentioned that came out in the research and it's quite a lonely position. And so everyone's doing this role on their own. Um, and so it's great to sort of peel back the covers of that and just see what that role looks like within different organisations. So on the podcast, each episode, so episodes are going to come out every fortnight. And on each episode, we're going to have an interview uh, with an agency leader where they're talking about how they fulfil those leadership roles, how they wear those upper hats in the organisation and do more of that strategic thinking and planning. Uh, also, they'll talk a little bit about about, um, honestly speaking, how they don't manage to do that all the time and you know what they would like to be doing and so on. So uh, the kind of guests that we have are not going to be the crushing it, smashing it kind of people. They're going to be people who are really willing to be open and honest and sharing about what it's really like being a leader in those kind of
kind of rules. So look out for some uh, guests on the coming podcasts uh, talking about their experiences of leadership in a way that actually I think everybody uh, listening will find really engaging, connecting, as well as getting things they can learn and uh, be inspired from. I think people also get a lot of, oh my God, yes, I know that pain. <laughs> so that'll come through too. Well, actually, we're joined by our, our first guest now. Uh, our first guest, our inaugural guest on the Convivio Agency Leaders podcast. So it's a, a great honor to welcome Sue Kyo, who is from an agency called Sukio. Um, they're a marketing communications agency based in Cambridge, England. And uh, Sue joins us now. Um, Sue, um, you've been running your agency for quite a long time now. So can you give us a bit of a, the lowdown about what kind of agency you are, how long you've been running? Okay, so I founded in 2008, so the height of the last recession, <laughs> which is why I kind of feel like maybe I, that's why I'm not so unfazed by all the stuff that's going on at the moment. Um, and there's now nine, nearly 10 of us, and we focus very much on content. So my background is originally as a radio producer and then content for the BBC, um, ITV.com as well, and Yahoo homepage, all people like that. So I kind of developed this agency very much focused on content on the back of that, which now focus on, focuses on things like video production, copywriting, social media campaigns, and then all of the strategy that goes with it and a lot of training as well. So we go into organisations and train them and just pass on all this expertise that we're developing. Yeah. And it's amazing how many agencies are started out of recessions, isn't it? So it's that thing of almost start at the low point and this is as hard as it will get and build up yeah, from there. Yeah, exactly. Did and, you find um, that a useful learning? Well, I mean, the thing is what happened with me, with me is that I didn't do it on purpose in that I was made redundant twice in an 18-month period and then the second time round in ITV realised I was pregnant in the same week. So I was in this kind of really uh, funny, sticky situation where I was kind of clawing myself out of a hole and started to take on more and more freelance work and more and more this and Yahoo and all these people. And then thought, oh, okay, this appears not to be a situation where I'm just going back to find finding normal work, if you like, and then began to get premises and then began to hire people. And then at some point further down the line, when I was get, developing this mix of projects and mix of clients, realising, actually, isn't this, I think this might be an agency. You know, it's this slow series of penny dropping moments, whereas, you know, you watch programmes like The Apprentice or, or things like that, where they all get together, they brainstorm a name, they brainstorm an idea. And, and actually, and, and I thought it was, oh, maybe I'm the odd one out like this. But then over time, I've realised that actually a lot of agencies do form like that. Um, rather than this big sort of this big bang. And I think this period of disruption, when everything is getting shaken up, is a perfect time to start something like this. Like this. And for us, one of the reasons that we've been so successful in what has otherwise been a you know, horrendous period for a lot of people is because we are quite small and quite nimble. So we've been able to make very quick decisions. We've been able to go back to clients, a lot of whom have been panicking and having to go through these wholesale shifts. You know, we do a lot of work with Cambridge University um, and there are parts of Cambridge University that have been unchanged for 800 years, you know, and trying to get them to do things differently is quite tricky. Some of them still pay us by check, you know, and, uh, and, We've seen this massive shift, whereas for us, because we're much smaller, we're able to kind of just go to these people and say, well, look, you've got this problem. You want to get there 
and you can't get there by that route. So how about we kind of do do it like that and we'll still get you there in the end. So um, I think for us as an agency, the size that we are, then we have been able to be quite nimble and very adaptive and, and move really quickly, which is what helped us um, in the early parts of the pandemic because we could just kind of crack on. Whereas I think agencies a lot bigger than us had more of a, a problem of the the kind of big ships turning slowly kind of thing. And then, if, of course, if they were working with really, really big clients, so, you know, your, your big leisure brands, for example, your massive retail brands, then equally for them, they were taking a long time to make decisions because of the whole chain of it. So in a way, being it was one thing that I learned that being a bit smaller actually might have been to our advantage throughout this whole period. And in the same way, back in the uh, recession, back in 2008, around that time, when it was just me, <laughs> freelance, then I was able to, again, kind of just quite nimbly nip in. And I could work a few hours here, a few hours there. Um, I was uh, the web editor for Magic FM in London. So by employing me, they didn't have to pay national insurance. They didn't have to get me a computer and a desk. So it's kind of like it's gone full circle it's the same thing again where i'm still in charge of this kind of quite nimble being <laughs> it's just that there's more of us and it, we're just you know another few steps up if that yeah. makes sense and so that's for the the doing the work what about the leading the organization where were you as a leader when you began what experience did you have or what had you observed that that made you ready to take on staff and grow and lead an organization well, I mean, the interesting thing for us is that I was all about getting ready for Brexit. So I was already looking ahead. I mean, I, I, it's not something I voted for myself, but you've got your personal opinions and then you've got your business leadership um, approach, that two separate things, really. And so I could see this coming on the horizon. And so I was already, I, I really wanted to get as match fit for Brexit, was the thing I kept on saying. And so there are areas of the business that I saw were going to grow, like video, for example, and I absorbed, <laughs> we didn't even put an ad out, we, I kind of absorbed this video producer that I know who's fantastic. And between us, we started to kind of, you know, develop this program for building up other parts of the business. And we were going through this, have you heard the phrase, um, storming, forming, norming and performing? And so we were kind of going through this storming process and, and we were kind of getting ready because we could see this storm on the horizon. Um, and one thing that set us up for this was that the building, our, our whole business nearly burnt down in the July, July 2019. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. So it's like we had a dress rehearsal for this whole thing. We had to, you know, I got these WhatsApp messages overnight, uh, which I didn't spot until I woke up in the morning these people saying, oh, Sue, I think, I think the business might have burnt down. And I got there and there were like 19 fire engines outside and all that kind of stuff. Oh, my goodness. That's yeah, it's, it's nuts. Incredible experience. Yeah. And so it was kind of, although, of course, I didn't know it at the time. Mentally, I was getting prepared for this thing kind of, you know, a year and a half away in the horizon. But then this thing happened, which just threw everything upside down. And we couldn't, we were out the building for three weeks. Um, a nice fireman let me in to go and rescue some laptops and put things away. Um, but we were working in coffee shops. We did job interviews in the church opposite where I could just about get our Wi-Fi, which is quite good. Um, clients let us work with them. So we were already used to this kind of, right, quick, you know, got to get out of here, got to keep operating. So then fast forward to March 2020, and we we're in the office when, you know, our, our glorious prime minister said, right, everybody, you've got to go and work from home if you, if you can. And it was like, right, cheerio, <laughs> see you in a bit. And it was, it was as if, well, we've already, okay, we've, 
we're sort of operational, we know how to do this. So in terms of leadership style through this, I think, I think you've always got to be the person that's giving out the energy and not taking it away from anybody else. So even though for me, um, I'll be totally honest with you, there have been a number of times during all of this that I felt like at breaking point where I've just been carrying so much, you know, and I've had people on the team that have been maybe signed off sick or um, a few gaps with, um, their, I don't know, just yeah, a few gaps here and there. And then we've had so much work, which has been incredible trying to sort of be, or, or, I'm always the person, you know, the book is always going to stop with me. So there's some points, oh, and homeschooling as well. <laughs> so, you know, um, and a few times just breaking off meetings and then going up to work with my son, who is also quite happily playing uh, video games and saying, hey, Dylan, do you want to talk about the Holocaust? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to, mum. You know, that's brilliant. And the two of us sitting there saying, you know, this is just horrendous, isn't it? Um, so all the way, I mean, you've just got to keep on, I wouldn't say just keep on smiling, but you've got to find a way of not offloading onto the people around you, um, which is very hard because sometimes on a Zoom call, um, you know, you're looking out at the faces there and sometimes other people, of course, everyone's going through um, difficult times as well. And everyone's had these little pockets of just either misery or anxiety or stress or whatever throughout all of this. And, and there have been times when I've just had to remove myself from it so that I'm not, I'm not passing it on to everybody else. Um, and always trying you, to, yeah. I'm, I'm interested how you balance that with, because also there's a, a kind of desire to be open as a leader. That's kind of an mm. increasing, increasingly people are becoming more open in leadership. So what's the right balance between being open enough and building those relationships, being honest, transparent, and managing that energy that you're talking about, because that seems like a really valuable thing as well. So how do you strike that balance? I think that's a really good question because I am very open as a, as a leader. I want, to, I want people to know what's going on. Um, I don't want to be one of these people that's just kind of locked away in a room. Um, so that is quite, quite tricky because as well, people need stability. Um, they don't need to know all the kind of ins and outs and the things that I'm thinking about happening next. Um, and I think it's this kind of uh, a, a moment that I had a few years ago and I realised that my leadership style is, is okay. And instead of trying to base myself on other people around me, um, there's a, a guy in Cambridge, I know, another agency owner, and he's very kind of Mr. Bombastic, gets up due meetings, walks around the room, paces and like, all right, Sue, how are you doing? You know, and, and I used to come away from meetings with him and with shared clients thinking, I need to be more like him. He's, you know, that's what, that's how you do it. And then gradually over time, with various moments, I suppose, where I've had my back against the wall a little bit, I mean, getting premises for the first time was a big acceleration for me as a leader because I had to make so many really sharp, clear decisions about things. And, and actually, I didn't know a lot of what I was doing. I mean, <laughs> I've never fitted a kitchen uh, in, a, in the premises. You know, I've never done this stuff before. And, uh, and that's what's accelerated me forward. And I suddenly realised, actually, I, I think the way I'm doing it is OK. Um, and as, as a woman, you're also kind of confronted with all of this stuff all the time saying, hey, this is how you should be as a leader. And, and I just shut up. I just get a bit annoyed with it. That, that you're continually up against this barrage of people telling you that you should be like this because you're a female uh, leader or you shouldn't be like that. And, you know, it, I, I just like to think about um, the phrase always paddle your own canoe. You just kind of, 
you just find your own way, you just sort of steer through it. And I don't think the way that I do it is because I'm female or not female or or anything really, just that I've I've kind of found my own path, which has got a lot of empathy. Um, I'm always trying to, you know, that is it the Eisenhower matrix, the, um, the, the idea of instead of only focusing on the things that are important and urgent, the things that are important but not urgent, trying to do as many of those as possible so that I've got more of a kind of an underlying calm because I know that thing that's caused me a lot of problems at the moment, if I just focus on it for a bit now, fast forward a month or so, then that will help everything else. So I think that that's, sorry, I'm kind of going off away from your question. But, but actually you're going but, towards my next question. Mm. So this is brilliant um, <laughs> because my next question. We got is, this, we got this. Yeah, exactly. You started there as a freelancer and you're now an agency with staff and a reputation and, um, you know, really established. So how have you evolved as leader and evolved the leadership of the business? Because initially it was just you, now it's mm. you plus a team. How do you make sure that there's a leadership team, that there's a board? You know, what mm. I talk about is wearing the higher hats in the organisation. So agency leaders have to wear many hats, you know, from being a shareholder to being a director, to being a CEO, to being a team lead, to being finance person, to being, you know, account management, whatever. And the lower down hat, in the agency nearer the, the work, nearer the doing, are the ones that shout the loudest and often drag agency leaders into them more. And it's harder to pull yourselves up into the higher hats and say, today I'm going to be a director and I'm going to focus ahead. But it sounds like you're doing that. How are you doing that? Well, it's working out really well at the moment. In fact, since I hired more junior people, because then that allowed us to have this layer of me at the top <laughs> that sounds really uh, like, woo, look at me up there. But anyway, um, and then I, so I've now got a senior creative team. And I think the trick is hiring really brilliant people. And so taking that process really seriously, because then the senior creatives that we've got are so talented and so, so hungry to develop things and to come up with ideas. And, and we've got this kind of shared pride in the work. So I've now got these people immediately below who I really trust to be getting on with it and getting out there with clients. And, and I've been saying for you know, many years that I don't want this to be the Sue show. Um, so even though for a few years at the start, it was just me and our Twitter account, for example, we've just reached a conclusion that it's always gonna be this kind of hybrid Sue and business um, rather than separating it off. But because I get other people in the team out there, then it kind of gets the name out there, um, but it supports uh, the idea that you've always got my kind of, ethos behind everything and that dedication to quality but I'm surrounded by all these people that are very uh, that are brilliant and so I am actually looking for ways at the moment um, I am thinking well, I, well what, what next it's not just about salaries how do you bring people into a board or you know what what's what do the guys the next step up for me what do they do on this um, because I think it is I'm also trying to bring in other things other, other benefits and and other things that keep people motivated and, and happy so that's one thing that I feel I'm on the cusp of sorting mm. out. You know, I'm happy to admit I'm not quite there yet, but it feels like the next level for me to have some sort of, you know, different structure to the management. Yeah, and you've got a picture for that, haven't you? What you what you would like that to be like uh, as a board and uh, as a sort of a management oversight structure. What's what's in your head? Well, I think what I'm doing at the moment is. Um, 
for start, I'm kind of bedding a few people in at the moment. So I've just created a project manager role um, because I was getting spread so thin. So she's just started a week ago, actually, and is brilliant. Um, and so from that, that will free me up to to be shaping this. And I feel like I feel like I haven't quite got the answer yet. And so my what I'm going to be doing now that my time is freed up is to be getting out there and chatting to other agency owners um, and all these people I've been saying for months. Oh, yeah, no, it really would be lovely to have a coffee. Um, and so so I'm kind of shaping that at the moment and to come up with something that makes people feel rewarded um, and part of it, because this whole thing I was saying about with the pandemic that we were very problem solving in our focus, that is what's kept us going. You know, it's not just me, it's, it's everyone. So to develop some sort of senior management system where these people are getting rewards for that and in a way that is more, there's more depth to it than just a salary. They feel like they've got a stake in, in steering the ship alongside me. That's, that's what I want to move to next. Um, but I haven't quite got the answer in how I'm going to do that. You know, I feel like I need to be doing a little bit more research uh, to work out the right step for us. Okay, and in taking yourself away that you can sort of focus on the long term, we've already seen that you were planning for Brexit well in advance and so on, and you then you were ready for the pandemic as a result of the fire. And uh, so you are doing something that's taking yourself away and taking director time to think longer term about the business. How do you do that? How do you carve out the time, protect it from other things, but then also decide what to focus on and what to look ahead on? I think for me, it's a lot about um, real, kind of taking a step back from myself and thinking, am I just being reactive and kind of firefighting? Or is there something here that I'm going to need support with long term? So, you know, when you create a new role, there's always this feeling of, well, do we need it? Do we not need it? How much work is there actually there? And then you kind of reach this tipping point where you realise, no, 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 we really do. And then for me at the moment, for example, with the project manager role, then, yeah, I've gone from thinking, yeah, this is, this is probably, probably maybe part time. And now she's in place. I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, <laughs> seven days a week, I need you. Um, so I think there is that element of, of spotting an opportunity. Um, is this going to be a long term trend? Is this something that's taking up all my time? Um, do I need to get something in place? And, and I think, yeah, it's, it's about trying to remove yourself from it, trying to, trying to take a step back. Um, as much as possible, and even if it is physically doing it. Um, I went to, I was a judge at some uh, business awards a couple of weeks ago, and I went to Wembley, which is amazing. And, and even just to sit on the train and physically go away, <laughs> it was quite incredible. And I do, I, I do sort of physically remove myself from things sometimes and find that really, really helps. Um, and just sort of put the shutters down for a bit because I, I recognize when I've just got too much going on and too many thoughts and, and all of that. So, yeah, I, I do find a kind of physically removing myself uh, approach to be quite helpful. Like at the moment, okay. sat, sat in my uh, neighbours, my death metal loving neighbours studio. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much, Sue. That's uh, been really interesting to hear behind the scenes of your leadership of your agency, Sukio. Well, uh, Joe is with me, uh, Dr. Joe Baker of Convivio, who leads our research work. What did you make of what Sue talked about there? Well, there was loads of really interesting things, uh, what Sue said. There's a couple of things in particular, you know, kind of slightly more technical things which are worth 
pointing out the um, the phrase storming forming norming performing that was a was a really interesting one that uh, Sue picked out. I've, I've heard it plenty of times before of course I'm sure many others are very familiar with it it's a phrase that's actually very old it comes from the from the 60s a guy called Bruce Tuckman uh, was the first one to propose that in a paper in 1965 and so of course it gets named after him it's called Tuckman's stages of group development uh, but it's really his description of the path that teams need to follow as they move towards the high performance stage, the necessary, as he felt it anyway, the necessary and inevitable order um, that a team had to go through in order to face challenges, to tackle problems and so on. Um, later, of course, more stages were added. I think Tuckman himself actually added one, uh, which was about the end of a team's uh, life together, which is the in order to rhyme or to fit the mnemonic, uh, it's called adjourning, uh, but sometimes called mourning because it's it's rhymes a bit better, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So that was so a really really interesting one. Yeah, and those stages then: storming, forming, norming, performing. What's what's covered in those stages? Because obviously the performing one is where things are going great; it's fantastic. So that's what you want to be the kind of the the ultimate stage. Um, and, but then we've got storming, forming, norming on the way to being able to be a performing team. So what are those stages? Forming is the first one. And that's really about uh, when the team is first uh, brought together. Uh, and it's very, very practical. It's about the tasks that need to be addressed, the issues, the problems which they're trying to overcome. Um, and that's why it's all about forming. Who is this group? Who are we? Where's our expertise? How do we fit together? What are we trying to do together? Um, discussion is really focused on, on tasks. It's for highly practical at that point. The storming point is the next stage, the second stage, and that's much more interpersonal at that stage. Uh, it's where um, people are trying to work out the group dynamics. Uh, where conflicts may arise as there's differences of interpretation, uh, power and status are being uh, assessed and analysed. Um, if you like, there's a, um, a kind of a hierarchy of power that slowly starts to develop. Uh, there are also people uh, trying to understand the individual working styles. Um, frequently, you'll find in that setting that people are being very polite to each other. Um, in order to overcome those kind of social difficulties. But sometimes that's where suspicions and fears and anxieties can, can be birthed. And if they're not dealt with, uh, will start to grow. Uh, the third stage uh, is the norming, where uh, those interpersonal conflicts start to bed in uh, or are dealt with and the normality of working life uh, beds in. Uh, and the team is then working practically on how to, to overcome their problems or achieve the goals uh, that the team's uh, you know, been assigned to do. Uh, but you may become then aware of outside factors, things like competition um, from other teams also trying to achieve the same goals. Uh, and that's the normality. And then the high performance is is where Tuckman was really trying to get everyone to or seeing that, that, that that's the, the obvious destination and it's the one that we're most familiar with, high yeah, performance okay. teams. Okay, so it's forming, storming, norming, performing. That's exactly. the, uh, the route that we exactly. go for that. Okay, it's a very useful way to think about teams. Obviously, like all these models, it's not perfect, it's not reality, but it's a framework for being able to talk about these things. And actually, it can be really useful raising this, you know, in different stages of a team and saying, hey, this is this model for teams. Where do we think we are? And how can we get to the next stage? And how can, how can we handle this stage we're at? Because that idea, particularly in that storming phase, 
that happens in every team where there's little bits of conflict. I thought I was in charge of this, or I thought you were doing that, or whatever. And if you can, you know, frame the discussion of this always happens in teams, there's a name for it, it's this. So because there's a name for it, we can expect it and work through it. It's not just our fault. There's a thing that happens with people. So now let's work through it. So that kind of thing as a leader is really ha handy to have to point to, to, to lead people through it. Yes, absolutely. And as with all stereotypes, as you said, you know, the stereotypes work for a reason. They explain something, but they're always problematic. Uh, and so whilst this model is uh, is very helpful, inevitably that, you know, it does not everything fits into it. But it's a very handy way of saying, oh, this kind of explains what we're going through. We've moved on from our initial connection into uh, how do we work as a team? Uh, and this yeah. is a kind of a necessary step. Yeah. I love this thing Tuckman's done though. I like this idea of having your name on a thing, you know, Tuckman's <laughs> model of teams or whatever. So I'd like a Parks model, uh, Parks model of agency nights out, you know, something like merry inebriated karaoke or something could be the different stages we could work through. So I must do some further research on this in order to work, work <laughs> yeah, out what the model is. <laughs> okay, so she talked about this as a model. She also mentioned later on the Eisenhower matrix and I thought we should just check in a, a little bit more detail on that yes people may well be familiar with the eisenhower matrix without realizing it's called the eisenhower matrix similarly to, to tuckman's um model this is a quite an old uh, established thing it comes from uh, dwight eisenhower the the u.s president from the 60s uh who i didn't realize until just looking up this up was actually nato's first supreme commander and it was in that context of the decision making that he was having to do uh, where he came um came up with this very simple model of how to deal with the many things you have to decide about uh, as a as a as a leader. Uh, it's basically a, a very simple graph split into four quadrants. The two rows uh, of the graph are about how to decide what's important and what's not important. The top row is the important things, and the bottom row is the not important things. And the two columns of the graph are the um, how impending, how, how urgent they are. So the first column is things that are urgent, and the second column is things that are not urgent. So that then gives you the four quadrants, two rows, two columns, two times two is four. Uh, so on the bottom row, things that are urgent but not important, uh, you have to do something with, and Eisenhower's matrix says you delegate that, you give that away if you possibly can. Uh, who can do that for you? Pass it on. The things that are not important and not urgent are things you shouldn't do, and effectively you delete them, get rid of it, eliminate it, get out, get it out, don't do it. The things that are important and urgent, so the first column again, those are the things that you do. You do it now if you possibly can, uh, and hopefully you do less of it by working out how to move it into the less important stage. You, give, you know, work out who to assign it to, but essentially you do them. And then the things that are not urgent uh, but important um, have to be done and you have to decide how you're going to deal with them. And so normally you try and schedule a time for it. So you could call that, that quadrant decide or you could call it schedule. Uh, but that's the idea. Uh, and as an agency leader, you want to move away from the important and urgent things, as I said, but moving them into the delegation kind of level. You try and find senior leaders, if possible, which is what Sue was really talking about there, other people who can do that important, urgent stuff, so that you're able to shift much more into the top right quadrant of important but not urgent, things that require you to have peace and quiet, to think strategically, to read 
effectively around the subject um, to pay attention to news and current affairs and the dynamics of the economy and so on, to mm. listen to other agency leaders. It's all that kind of stuff, which is the kind of key quadrant for the uh, for us as agency leaders to pay attention to. Yeah, and we were talking earlier about the, the different hats and those the higher the hat is in the organisation, the more it should be dealing with the important but not urgent stuff um, and really doing that stuff that is looking ahead, preparing for things before it becomes urgent, before it becomes a crisis. Exactly, because otherwise that stuff will move from not urgent to being urgent very, very quickly. If you don't deal with it in advance, it will get there, it will sting you in the tail. Yeah. And so that's really the focus for this podcast, but also our work in Convivio is just helping agencies and agency leaders uh, do that more strategic stuff where they're looking at what's important, but not urgent yet, and really giving them a framework for thinking about those things. So it's great, great that came up in our very first episode. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, so other things she talked about, um, Sue talked about, um, you know, giving out the right energy as a leader. I thought that was very interesting. And, you know, we talked, we discussed a bit about balancing that sort of uh, always giving out, you know, a good, a positive energy within the agency with that, you know, wish for transparency. And, you know, she described how every leader needs to find the right balance. And this is something that I, as a leader, feel I struggle with a lot because I'm naturally quite an open book. I kind of, you know, if I'm, uh, you know, annoyed at particularly some thing that's going on in the world, such as <clears throat> Brexit, uh, then I will make that quite clear and I'll talk about the impacts and that sort of thing. And I kind of tend to favour being much more towards the very transparent end of the spectrum. But afterwards, I do find myself thinking, God, you know, I probably put out a bit of negative energy there and how should I reel that in? So I think that gives me something to think about going away and thinking about not only just being open, but about also the energy you put out into the agency as a leader. Yeah, I think it's one of the big, it must be one of the biggest challenges, I think, for being an agency leader, because there is something certainly about the character of an agency leader, which defines the character of the organization. And it's really important that every every agency has a character that distinguishes it from others around it. As, as Sue said, and as you've said, Steve, uh, just a moment ago, that exudes certainly from the, the chief exec, the managing director. Um, but there's also the risk, and I was w listing out for, for Sue talking about this, there is the risk of running dry in doing that, that, that you're giving out so much uh, that you you run out of stuff to give out anymore, uh, and I think probably the last uh, eighteen months or so of the pandemic has has brought that to a head uh, for so many people who've talked about you know being at the ragged edge, being at the limits, um, being unsure where they've got to. Uh, so it's a vital thing that agency leaders do, but also is one that's fraught with risk, and we need to work out how to recharge ourselves or or you know bring uh, material into ourselves so it's not just a, um, a slow running drive of the battery but the battery is being charged as well yeah that's very true because that's one of the issues that came out in the agency radar report that we do that we're actually going to talk about in a separate podcast but that idea of kind of leaders burnout is a real issue because everybody's been giving so much for 18 months uh, without respite. And that's that those reserves are running dry. I mean, Sue talked about sometimes having to remove herself from discussions uh, so that she didn't contribute to the, the negative energy and so on. So I think a lot of leaders would really recognize that. 
Okay. Um, uh, another thing that I thought was uh, was very interesting was this thing she talked about that she actually got a benefit from starting up in hard times, the recession and so on. And that's something that I know I saw you nodding away to fairly, um, fairly earnestly. Um, so what did you make of that? Yeah, I, I was nodding particularly because um, you know, in my long career, I've met people from many industries uh, and though frequent, I've heard those who've said that they've started in adversity, especially those who started in recessions. Um, uh, they've learned some hard skills that, that way, learn from um, the necessary skills needed to get the job done in those environments that have meant when it's got to easier times that um, you're maybe more equipped to to be prepared for the ine inevitable and eventual um, hard times further ahead, which actually was really interesting uh, going back to what Sue said fairly early on um, when she was talking about be preparing the business for Brexit, that she was already looking ahead. I remember that phrase from her, it really stood out to me, that she was already looking ahead. She was already scanning the horizon to see the storms, storm on the horizon, that was a phrase she used as well, which uh, really stuck out to me. Um, and I think that was when Sue was talking about being match fit, that uh, she was aware that there were these things coming and ne needed to get other aspects of the business ready to take up uh, the slack for the things that may be more affected by, by Brexit. And I think it's that kind of that kind of trait, which is really well developed by starting a business in, in adversity. You learn that it's necessary to think long term, to think about um, the storms that may be ahead and not just to think everything's all going to be perfectly sweet and happy and light and fun the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. And within that, she talked about, uh, in fact, within the whole chat, she talked a few times about that needing to look ahead. And, you know, at one point she was talking about spotting opportunities and trends and that sometimes she needs to sort of sit back from the business, step back from the business. And sometimes even, you know, just as she was saying at the end, physically step back, you know, physically remove herself from the business and go off on a train journey or go somewhere else to actually think. And I think really that time physically away from the business is very important. I know always uh, in our agencies before pandemic times, I've always believed in retreats as being really important to take the agency leadership team away somewhere and really workshop the business, really take time away from the daily doing and put ourselves in that leadership role and think through what are we going to do to build this business of ours? How can we look further ahead? What are the problems we have now and how are we going to solve those in future? And so I think that physical separation is absolutely vital. It's one of the things I've missed most during the pandemic, actually, is being able to just get away into a different place and often, you know, somewhere that's quite nice, you know, make yourself feel, you know, senior and leadership and feel that you're <laughs> inhabiting a different space. Um, you know, get yourself some nice dinner and drinks and, you know, find some way to make it a bit special so that this is a different time uh, and take the leadership team away and really work through those things. But also as a leader, take yourself away just solo, you know, long walks and um, some time just to think things over. Yeah, there's a lot to be said, isn't there, for being out of mobile phone coverage. So you're not being pinged constantly. Um, Sue used the phrase about too many thoughts. I think um, some of that happens just by being around the office the whole time. And there's lots of things going on to be out of mobile phone coverage for a little while, um, several hours at a time to have the clarity, to have the freedom to allow your mind to wander. There's something also about physical movement connected with 
um, creative thought by going for a walk uh, the 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 pattern of walking the rhythm of it allows the mind to to be a bit more free to think more creatively to come uh, address difficult subjects from a new angle to going for a bike ride or um, you know standing at the top of a mountain or, or whatever yeah. yeah well actually you and I I remember when we were changing the direction of Convivio from being an agency itself to this idea of a business that's supporting leaders of agencies that we got you know we were motivated by seeing the problems agencies had in the pandemic and you know the fact that there hadn't been a lot of planning ahead and uh, business continuity plans and that horizon scanning and so on and we really wanted to do something to solve it so each of Joe and I basically we went for a walk we were still in lockdown it was the pandemic we couldn't meet up but we each went for a long walk where we were and I was on the Atlantic coast of France and Joe was on the Birmingham Canal <laughs> um, and we just talked on a normal phone line it was the, like the first normal phone call I'd had forever because it's always zoom phone calls and things like that but it was just mobile to mobile uh, we had our headsets on and we just walked and talked for about three or four hours uh, and it was fantastic. It just, you know, the discussion was wide ranging. We didn't have to make it pacey or whatever. We could just think out loud. And that was a really productive and motivating conversation, I think, as well. So that was a good way to do it. Just take ourselves away and have that physical movement and be chatting that way. Uh, but pretty soon, Joe, we can get back together and have an actual walk in the same place at the same time. Oh, heaven. Yeah. That'll be heaven. <laughs> Okay, Joe, well, thank you very much. That's been really interesting to dig into some of what Sue said there and some of the uh, lessons we can learn from her about leading an agency. Well, each episode of this podcast, we're going to have an agency leader on as a guest to talk about their experiences of leadership and leading agencies in particular. And on the next episode, our guest is going to be Paul Bellows. He uh, formed and leads an agency in Edmonton and Vancouver in Canada. Uh, it's a digital um, agency working with the public sector and he started it years ago so he's got loads of lessons uh, learned on the way paul you've been listening to some of what sue said there what did you make of it so much of your story just resonated for me i just yes yes so many things you know it's, it's the crises that prepare you for the future crisis that's bigger you know just all the small the fire prepares you for a yeah did you did your you place know? burn down as well <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But I, what good, I would say is good. I've learned nothing useful through success. I've only learned through failure. That's the only way I think you learn. It is, is you, when you make mistakes, when things go wrong, when, when the big waves hit you, you, you learn, you, you sink or you swim, you know, and it's, it's the swimming that you learn. <laughs> okay, Paul, thank, thank you very much. We'll hear more from you uh, on the next episode of the Convivio Agency Leaders podcast. So join us for that. If you'd like to hear what Paul has to say about running his agency and the leadership lessons he's learned uh, over this last couple of years, but also all the crises in between because he said his leadership has been really sharpened by some of the crises since he first started his business back in about 96. So it's going to be a fascinating chat and Paul will look forward to chatting to you then. Well this is the Convivio Agency Leaders podcast uh, with me Steve Parks and with my colleague Joe Baker. Um, we're going to be with you every episode every two weeks talking to a different agency leader and talking about some of those things that are needed for agency leaders to wear those higher hats 
hats, being the owner, the director and the CXO within their agency, rather than getting down into the operations of the agencies and so on. So we're looking at how do we you know, think in those upper hats and how do we look further ahead and plan more strategically. So join us for the next episode in a couple of weeks time. But in the meantime, do go to our website, convivio.com and sign up for our email newsletter. Every Monday morning, I'll email you with a, a few thoughts on agency leadership and a few updates of things that are going on. Um, and it's very non-spammy. It's just a really interesting, useful, and hopefully slightly inspiring start to the week on a Monday morning for agency leaders. So convivio.com, C-O-N-V-I-V-I-O.com, and you can sign up for the agency leaders uh, newsletter uh, right there. And then you'll get updates on all sorts of things and some thoughts to start the week. So join us on the next episode. But in the meantime, from Joe and from me, thanks very much for listening. Have a great week.